0: We are joined right now by an NBA national writer for the Washington Post. He is also co-host of the Greatest of All Talk podcast, the author of Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. Of course, I'm talking about Ben Golver. He joins us via Zoom. Ben, it's great to have you back. How are you?
1: It's great to be back, Jim. I'm doing excellent. Just got off the road uh, seeing Victor Webanyama. uh, Four of his first five games, I should say. Just an incredible start to the season for him, and I think for the NBA in general, it's it's been a lot of excitement with this, uh, this fresh-faced rookie down in San Antonio taking over.
0: All right, so Ben, what do you make of that? Let me get your first impressions. Almost nothing ever, ever lives up to the hype. seems to me that although it's early, Wemby has already smashed it. What did you think watching him?
1: Well, in his fifth game against uh, Phoenix, he had 38 points, 10 rebounds. He's putting up numbers that no rookie or no teenager besides LeBron James and Kevin Durant have ever done in NBA history. So that's a pretty good place to start. What I really want to reinforce to people, though, is he's not just a highlight player. Obviously, he's a goat on YouTube, right? I mean, you see all these crazy dunks, these block shots. I mean, he's so tall, he's so long—seven foot four with the eight foot wingspan. He's always going to be making highlight level plays. But what really stands out about uh, him, to me, is the intangibles, Jim. I've really never seen anything like how he prepares for games. He practices everything, all of the boring stuff. You know, he's closing out on shooters. Uh, he's, you know, cutting off of screens. He's working on backdoor passes. He even practices taking charges at center court. He has one of the Spurs coaches run into him so he can practice taking a charge. I mean, it's such a unique way to prepare for an NBA game when pretty much everybody else is out there just shooting up jumpers and jogging around and kind of waiting for the game to start. He's a very, very intelligent guy. I think uh, Greg Popovich has called him a quick learner time and again here in the first two weeks. And I think that's really what's helping him hit the ground running is that basketball intelligence.
0: Ben Galver joining us. And really quickly, Ben, what's been the reaction around the league from his veteran peers? What do they make of him?
1: Well, I've been impressed that he's been accepted. I mean, we all remember those stories about Michael Jordan showing up as a rookie and it's like a challenging locker room. But he's There's hard drug use and all this kind of stuff. Or LeBron. Remember all the resentment around LeBron when he first got to Cleveland because he was such a hyped prospect there in Ohio. But for Webb Yama, it's been a lot of uh, oohs and ahs, And people are trying to just adjust to how do you play against him, right? I mean, here's a player who you can just throw lobs to all day long. He can dunk over your centers with no problem. And then defensively, he can guard your best point guards or your, your best shooting guards, stay with them on the perimeter, and then block their jump shots in a way that nobody else really does. So we heard from Devin Booker say something along the lines of we're still trying to figure out who this guy is. Up in Toronto, uh, OG Ananobi got his shot blocked a couple of times. He just said, well, "I mean, Yama's too tall. I don't even know how to deal with him." So there's been this huge adjustment period as everyone's just trying to wrap their minds around what is it like when a guy who's seven foot four uh, has guard skills, can put the ball between his legs, can bring the basketball up in transition. I mean, we've heard so much about unicorns here over the last ten years in the NBA probably starting right around the Kevin Durant era, maybe. And Yamba's just in his own class. I mean, he's taller and longer than anything we've seen, more skilled than any uh, player of his size in NBA history. And it was funny when he was getting warmed up down in Phoenix, even Kevin Durant was looking down from the other side of the court trying to sneak a peek, Jim. He wanted to see it for himself. He couldn't believe it.
0: It's incredible, Ben. Like, how amazing is it that the 19-year-old is not adjusting to life in the NBA? The NBA has to adjust to the 19-year-old five games in. It really is amazing, especially in this, the era of unicorns. Ben Galbraith joining us. So, Ben, it's a, obviously a marathon NBA season, but not too early to form some early impressions. Let me ask you about the Bucks. Milwaukee's won four of their first six. What do you make of what you've seen from their new Giannis, Damian, And, you know, super team of sorts.
1: Yeah, look, they've got some work to do. They changed their defensive scheme coming into the season. It was one of those deals where a first-year head coach and Adrian Griffin has his vision for what the defense should look like. And it was just terrible out of the gate. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They were not stopping anybody. So they've adjusted back to more of what they were doing last year with their defense. And that's having Brooke Lopez stay in the paint. And that's improved a little bit for them on that end. You know, it's going to take a while when you have two guys who have had their own teams for years and years in Giannis and Dame to kind of come together. But we've already seen some nice moments of chemistry late in games where they could take turns. Uh, they could kind of share the basketball. They could each hit some big shots and and certainly get to the free throw line as well. I think that's been one of the big standout things for Milwaukee has been Damian Lillard's ability to get to the line, to to make use of all the space that Giannis creates and just get himself to the ribs. So, I would say, uh, you know, Milwaukee, they haven't raced out of the gate, but they're probably happy with where they are. And certainly they know it's going to take a couple of months to bring this team together. I think that's really important when you look at Milwaukee, Boston and Phoenix, because they made such big trades that really changed their starting lineups so late in the summer. Right. Those deals didn't even get done till right before media day and training camp you got to give those teams probably two months to really see who they are.
0: Dan Gulliver joining us know, You mentioned the defense. I would imagine they miss Budenholzer's defense. I know they missed Drew Holiday. Speaking of Drew Holiday and the Celtics, what about that revamp roster you just referenced? The Celtics have dropped just one game so far. What do you make of what you've seen from them?
1: Well, look, they're probably, of all the teams that made big moves this summer, they've come out of the, game the, uh, the gate the fastest. I would say Jason Tatum's looked like an early-season MVP candidate that starts with him. Jalen Brown's had some really nice moments, but they're going to be able to get it done with spacing on offense and then a hard nose defense. Nobody wants to have to play against Derek White, uh, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Andrew Holiday on the perimeter. I mean, that's the best one-to-four uh, defense I think you're going to see anywhere in the NBA. Porzingis has hit the ground running, really providing a lot of spacing on offense that's helped make life a little bit easier for Al Horford, who's getting up there in years. Uh, This is a team that's ready to compete for a title. I think they should be viewed right next to Denver as the top championship favorites. I think if if they were to get to that finals matchup and you're getting Jokic versus Porzingis, I mean, that'd be a crazy mismatch in terms of styles of play and body types. I think that would be something to really get excited for if it comes to that. But before we get there, I mean, I I think you have to look at Boston as a favorite to win this in-season tournament as well. Uh, their only loss so far was on the road against Minnesota. Minnesota was really amped up for that game. They brought, you know, 110% uh energy in that. And it still took them to overtime to put the Celtics down. So that tells you what kind of a challenge uh this Celtics team is. And I, I think Brad Stevens did a great job this summer. You know, he really improved his starting lineup. I think he shook up the chemistry a little bit. And they're they're potent on both ends.
0: I think you're right. Ben Galva joining us. I think you're right. I think Denver also looks great, despite losing a couple of key role players in Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. I think they look really good. What about the Sixers? They win five their first six. Hey, Ben, it wouldn't seem that they miss James Harden all that much. How do they look to you?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's a case of addition by subtraction, right? Because you do lose James Harden's playmaking ability. You do lose his scoring ability. But there were so many distractions here over these last couple of months that they just look relieved and happy to move on. And by the way, Tyrese Maxey's looking around and saying, I'm going to get paid next summer because I've got the ball in my hands. I'm putting up huge numbers. I have all the room in the world to kind of be that number two guy to Joel Embiid. I don't think we could judge the Sixers, though, until we get to February because Daryl Morey was able to get a whole bunch of draft picks from the Los Angeles Clippers in that James Harden trade. He's got some expiring contracts that he could potentially trade as well, so I would look at Philadelphia and say they're probably the biggest buyers in the NBA right now during this regular season in terms of trying to improve and upgrade their core around Joel Embiid to really give him a shot to chase a championship this season. Now, look, uh, you know Boston and Milwaukee, to me, they made bigger additions than Philadelphia did over the last 12 months. I think if you're Embiid, you have to start wondering, are we slipping behind? Are we falling behind here? Is this team committed to trying to put me in position to keep up with the Celtics and the Bucks? And so I think that, that's why I see them as buyers. You know, I, I think Daryl Morey is kind of holds the keys to this season if he wants to uh, cash in some of those assets in February.
0: He knows that too. And I think Tyrese Maxey, this is not a surprise to anybody. He's capitalizing on that opportunity. He looks awesome so far. What about Ben James Harden with the Clippers? I know Harden wanted the Clippers, but should the Clippers have wanted him in return? For instance, are they collecting stars or are they building a roster? In other words, do you expect this to work?
1: No, I don't. And frankly, I don't expect it to work. I think when I look at their four guys, they're all ball dominant. They're all like 32 years and older. They all have, you know, some level of either fit concerns or injury concerns when it's Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. And when I look at how they would play in the playoffs, someone's going to get the short end of the stick. And I think it's probably going to be Russell Westbrook. And that could be really tricky for them to manage. Now, here in the short term, I think it's all about trying to settle James Harden into the right role You want this guy to be a number three scorer. You want this to be Kawhi Leonard's team. You don't want Paul George to get lost in the shuffle. And I think that's the the key that we saw from his debut is, like, why is Paul George taking such a huge step back? You know, it's not like James Harden was dominating the basketball like crazy in that game against the Knicks, and yet Paul George is kind of nowhere to be seen. So that's a a tricky dynamic. They've got the right coach to navigate this stuff in uh, Ty Lue, but I just don't think that, you know, come a postseason time – They're going to try to go really small, spread everybody out, shoot lots of three-pointers, and I think if you're looking at, you know, a matchup with Golden State or a matchup with Denver, I'll take Golden State at Denver over the Clippers. I think they make this move for a couple reasons, though. I don't think they thought they were good enough. I think they were worried about backsliding this season with their players getting a little bit older, and, of course, they've got that new arena coming in Inglewood, and you get another big-time, you know, basketball star, you know, from Southern California. That probably helps things next season as they move into that arena assuming they're able to re-sign James Harden. So there's business reasons for doing it. I, I see basketball reasons for doing it. I'm just not buying it, Jim. Yeah,
0: neither am I. And I think also for insurance, because, you know, one or more of those guys are going to get hurt. Speaking of which, finally, I'm not questioning Ben Anthony Davis's durability. Well, yes, I am. Seven games in, he's already dealing with a hip issue. Given his history of injury, and even if LeBron is what he is at 38, he is almost 39 Where would you slot the Lakers in the West?
1: Well, I was really high on them coming into this season, Jim, because I looked at the depth and their continuity from last year when they made that Western Conference Finals run. And I was thinking all the pieces have come together here for the Lakers. But the, the problem is they've been working so hard for their wins here early in the season that LeBron's had to play big minutes and Anthony Davis has had to play, you know, huge minutes. And, even if I was going to defend him from these accusations of you know being injury-prone, and look, he's always on the shelf. That's been a, something we've seen for five, six, seven years now. You just can't expect him to be healthy if you're going to play him 38, 39, 40 minutes a night in October, right? And So I guess I'm a little bit lower on the Lakers than I was coming into the season. I feel like they're probably in that second tier or that third tier, but I've been really impressed by the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry. I feel like their chemistry is a little bit better this season than it was last year. And, of course, Denver's riding a high above everybody. So I think the Lakers, they're no better than third. And I could easily see them being one of those teams that's fighting for, a, you know, a five or a six seed because you've got these younger teams like Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Dallas. Like, those teams are really hungry trying to make a name for themselves. And it's going to be tricky for these older Lakers teams uh, to kind of keep up as this season unfolds. You know,
0: I've got GM Nico Harrison on my pod this week, Ben, and he is really high and really bullish on Kyrie and Luca and the way they're playing next to each other. So I think you're right. The West is going to be fierce once again. He is an NBA national writer for the Washington Post. He is co-host of the Greatest of All Talk podcast and the author of Bubble Ball. It's a great book, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. Ben, great to have you back on. Appreciate you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Jim. Take care, man. Ben Golver joining us. Great job, Ben. Really good stuff.